cliffcentral.com. All right, we are back and it is time for the burning platform. It is a Thursday morning, Pumi Mashiko as always, and we're ready to to tolerate, tackle, uh, take down, um, terrify and <laughs> translate all the things that we're have not made tolerating nonsense. We're not. No. We're, okay. So zero toleration, but everything else we're still going for. And we're joined this morning zero by Dumo Denga, who is of course a libertarian, also co-host and founder of the Man Patriot Podcast. Dumo, it's always good to see you. How are you doing? And what's uh, what's been going on in your life? Give us a quick update. I am great. I am great, Gareth. Um, a lot of things have been happening at Manpatria. We have taken a break, and we've just done some changes in the background. Uh, so you'll find that all of our content, I uh, think, uh, it's not on YouTube anymore, unfortunately, but it's on our website. So were don't you, worry. And it's all free, no ads, nothing like that. Were you taken off of YouTube, or did you take yourself off of YouTube? I took myself off of YouTube. <laughs> oh. You, you, is there a reason for that? Do you want to tell us a little bit? Uh, reason why um, I did that, I just felt that part, I think, uh, given the validation markers that exist on social media, I don't yeah. think it's best for the Man Patriot podcast to be on YouTube. I just oh. feel that people will better judge our content by being on a space where there aren't any validation markers that could actually potentially harm um, our perception. So that's oh, the wow. reason why. Okay, so you, it was a preemptive move by you because you think that eventually they'll become uh, more and more censorious is that kind of what what you're thinking is yes okay. along those lines as well yes all right well listen i i certainly hope that doesn't happen because we want our show to carry on being on youtube but we love having you on because you have an interesting insight into so many things and you don't mind uh, a take that isn't the, the mainstream popular take on many things so Pumi and Dumo, where do we begin with a week where, I mean, it seems to me the ANC policy conference was on everyone's mind for about five seconds and then disappeared. Cyril apparently um, ran the conference with an iron fist. Gwede Mantashe was what they called his, um, his bouncer at the conference. They, they, <laughs> they extracted and excluded everyone who had, um, let's say, contrary opinions Everyone who was from the, uh, the, the, the so-named RET faction, anyone who was from KZN and did not approve of certain things that are going on in the ANC because they probably approve of different leaders. What does all of this mean? I mean, the ANC we know is in free fall. We know they're in decline. We know they're likely to be given a hiding in, in pretty much all the elections they're taking part in. But it seems that they are living in, I think it was Professor Susan Boyson, who said, and she's quite a good analyst, um, I've, I've asked Dory to get her on the show as well, they're living in a world of their own imagination, the ANC. They aren't actually connected to reality. Do you think that's fair? <laughs> Duma, you go first. Duma, you are a guest. You go first. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to lean towards that. I think that they are living in their own world. If you look at um, the things that were mentioned in the conference, like, for example, they were talking about um, increasing or introducing a wealth tax yeah. that's going to fund this 350 rand grant. And then also at the same time, they talked about um, having a state-owned bank. And they also proposed that the Reserve Bank has to be nationalized and its mandate in the Constitution has to be changed to include tackling unemployment. And the reality is that if anyone can just look at how to tackle unemployment, 
and how to um, reduce poverty and so forth. You don't need to take such drastic measures. But I just think what's happening now is that they're trying to increase the power of the state, so much so that um, if the times do get bad, they've still got some resources that they can use to sustain themselves. So that's, that's, that's what's happening. And they are out of touch with reality because, I mean, if you look at South Africa's unemployment rate, I think it's, it's, it's at its highest ever. Um, we just gone out of a situation in the pandemic where millions of jobs have been lost and so forth. And also... We're back to load shedding, you know, stage four today yeah. from yeah. Uh, four o'clock. So yeah, that's great. really, and, and they're not doing anything about it. But Duma, someone said to me yesterday, and I think it was, I don't think it was a very good argument, but they said that this is really, that this load shedding thing, uh, they believe is completely political. They say it's not an electricity supply problem, which I don't agree with. But let me put their theory to you and you tell me if you think it's nonsense as well. The point being made by this person was that the ANC are just basically showing the people of this country that they actually have, in very literal terms, power, that they can switch off your power, that they can turn it on, that they can mess you around, they can play with your life, and that they hold the reins in their hands. Now, there are people who say that there is a certain amount of nefarious nonsense going on around ESCOM. It's not just blatant incompetence. I don't believe that. I think, you know, you cannot attribute... Um, evil and insidious and wickedness insidiousness and wickedness to things that are just plainly incompetence but this escom thing again why is it suddenly a problem now why wasn't it a problem for a little while it's almost like they it's it's a bit of um it's it's abusive it's like he hits you then he says sorry promises he won't hit you again and then just when you're starting to get comfortable with him again he hits you again it's that abusive uh, husband syndrome that I think we're in with the ANC. Do you think there's anything more going on here than just plain incompetence? Do you believe any of this conspiracy nonsense that it's actually political and they're busy showing people that they're in charge and they can do what they want with you and that that message would actually have effect on certain quarters in South Africa? I, I think, look, I mean, with, with regards to conspiracy theories, I mean, the, they can be true. And, uh, and they, they, they're nice to hear. I mean, it's really interesting stuff to, to hear about. But I don't think, um, the ANC is trying to show that they had, that they have power because they would have done something like this prior to 2007 when load shedding actually did become a reality. Um, I do think that ESCOM, I do think, sorry, that well, ESCOM or the government, whoever, um, are being incompetent. I mean, if you look at the stats of ESCOM's electricity generation, um, their electricity generation peaked in 2007 yeah. and then has decreased by 15% ever since. And what is also interesting is that since that time, their average electricity price per kilowatt has increased by over 400% as well. So you have this decrease in, uh, in electricity generation and the increase in the price as well which is like a total rip-off in my opinion. So maybe there is, maybe the conspiracy theory is true in the sense that they'll say that, well, they're increasing the price of electricity to show that we can increase, we can increase the price Where and no one can like, say yeah. anything about it, including NERSA. Mm -hmm. Maybe that part of it is true. All right. But so in terms of electricity generation and them switching it off, now nah, I don't think so. <laughs> Pums? Look, I think it's a combination of factors. Your, your mic is and a bit soft, Pumi. Sorry. Is it soft again? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Or, or just so pull it, I pull think it a it's bit a combination closer, of factors. Fine. 
the the first one being general incompetence. Mm. The second one, though, being years and years of mismanagement and and lack of yeah. proper skill. But I do think that the conspiracy theorists have something that they are onto, and the the indicator for that is the lack of consistency of the powerlessness that we have, right? So if what the problem is, is energy generation or demand, not being able to meet the demand and all of that, then there has to be some certain level of consistency because what has happened in the past 10 days to the demand that made it possible for us to have consistent power And then what is the change that, yeah. you know, so Absolutely. that suddenly we, we don't have enough power to meet the demand. If it is a sabotage mm-hmm. in the, in the power stations, if it is sabotage in the power stations, then that is, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, that's why I'm saying it's a combination of factors, but I do buy into the, the, some of the of the conspiracies but i don't think that the conspiracy is that the anc is trying to show us how much power they actually have over us because i don't think they even know how much power they have over us at this point their level of incompetency guys trust right, well, me, we cannot the two things that I we want, cannot I, attribute to to anything nefarious yes, it's, it's just incompetence is that what you're saying mm, yeah. yeah it's complete incompetence okay so Two things that come out of what Dumas said. First one, uh, and, and either of you can comment on these however you'd like. The first one is the situation with the wealth tax, the idea that there are still people who they can milk, that if they can just milk those people some more, they'll be able to delay their own collapse by giving some of that money, by transferring wealth from some rich people who I'm not sure who they think is rich, but apparently in this country, at the moment, anyone who's earning over 50,000 rand a month is considered rich, um, which would be middle class in any other country in the world. But that's besides the point. They, the, the, the wealth tax, feasible or not feasible, we've got to talk about that. It's just another desperate attempt by the ANC to make themselves relevant to the poor, who they still believe are their constituency, even though the poor have stopped voting in any conceivable uh, measurable way. The other one is this idea of of ESCOM. I was thinking about something we've often spoken on the show about how you you know people need to get off the grid. They need to find ways of 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 empowering themselves, making sure that they're protected during these outages and all the rest of it. The reality is, for so many people, they don't own their own property. I mean, most people in this country do not own any property at all. So you can't go around buying solar. Where are you going to put it? You can't rent a property and put solar in. You can't, um, you can't go and, and, and put in solar geysers, for example, if you're, the, if you're the person who's hiring a place instead of the person who owns it. For many people, the best they can do is like a little UPS, which is kind of what I use to keep the show going in the mornings when there's load shedding. We don't think about those people at all, let alone those who can't afford any of that stuff because it is damned expensive getting yourself off the grid. So those two things, the wealth tax and then the other wealth tax of having to protect yourself against against ESCOM. Right. Uh, I'll start with the wealth tax. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Yeah, with regards to the wealth tax, I think uh, it's exactly what you say, Gareth. It's just another way for the government to extract money from people that are productive and giving it to people that are, quote-unquote, unproductive. Not to say that they are, but let's just say the poor, for example. No opportunities. um, So I think um, in the long long run, this is just, a, I think, um, a delaying of the inevitable. I think that at some point there will be not – there won't be anything to take away from the so-called rich, the quote-unquote rich, um, yeah. because the rich people or the extremely wealthy people, if you want to put it that way, they got the means to escape. Remember, Mauritius is not too far away. It's a four-hour flight. They also have tax incentives. They'll say, yep. come invest in our country, mm-hmm. and we'll give you some tax breaks. So those people, they have their span of view is quite wide, so they can actually go uh, pretty much wherever they want and take their money and put it somewhere else. And the government um, understands this, and this is why they have these really strict laws and immigration with regards to your savings and stuff like that. So I think ultimately the the stance that the government takes and this wealth tax is just going to make things even worse, and uh, people may not even invest in South Africa as a result, and it's just going to collapse a lot of things. So I think the wealth tax is a terrible idea. Um, There are better ways to take the poor out of poverty out of poverty, free markets, they work. Um, I've explained that extensively on many occasions. And then um, <laughs> let's go to the, the, the thing about um, the, the solar panels. Yes, yeah. solar panels are expensive. Um, right. My, my dad, <laughs> he got a quote for, it, a quote for one, and I saw it, and I was like, this is crazy. I mm-hmm. couldn't believe how expensive it was. So going off the grid is very expensive. Now, there, there is a better solution. The reality is that with ESCOM, they can't keep up with the supply. They can't keep up with um, increasing the supply of electricity. The reality is that, and I'm going to, and I'm writing an article on this. But basically, the argument that I'm going to make is that, look, the electricity market has to be deregulated up to the point where private players can actually generate, distribute, and sell electricity to whoever they want. Um, that, and they can compete with ESCOM on a large scale or on a small scale, because the reality is that um, even like today i mean if you go and buy like a sandwich for example mm. um like, like a club sandwich it's got bacon it's, it's got chicken depending on what it what, what depending on what you prefer there's mm. a lot of things in that sandwich now if you had to create that sandwich yourself you had have to pay a lot of money to get all those raw materials and stuff like that it's very expensive not feasible but someone can actually put it together to you and sell it and i think there are people that can do the same thing with electricity Let's rather go down that route and you will see electricity will become much more affordable and it will be more reliable as well. What do you say, Pums? Do you think that the, that a wealth tax, and by the way, it's not just a wealth tax, but the, um, the ANC also tabled this idea of scrapping TV licenses and rather just imposing an, an additional tax on the household. It called it a household tax. And that would be another way for them to get their dirty, filthy fingers on our hard-earned money. I promise you guys, the best thing for all of us in this country with all of their policies and all of their ideas is that the ANC is actually very bad at implementation. <laughs> They're very bad at implementation. So they, they, they and I mean, I, I saw some pieces of some of the, the kind of discussion documents that, that they were circulating. Mm-hmm. And none of them have any concrete plans. Right. You know, they're all just pie in the sky kind of ideas. I think everybody had their back up because Cyril is, a, is still a favorite. 
when Tabombeki said there's no there's no plan in place. Everybody was like, oh, Tabombeki, how dare you? And, yes, I know. You know but the truth <laughs> of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, what are Cyril's plans? What is Cyril? And, and he's never, like, come out and said, I plan to do one, two, three, no. other than this idea of fighting corruption and mm-hmm. rooting it out, which is, you know, that, that can take forever. What does it look like when he's finished fighting the corruption? What does that look like? And, and, and what a, a, is he fighting what a, corruption but, right now? But what a low-level goal as well, right? I mean, if that's all you got, if that's the best you can do is like, we will fight corruption, that should be your entry-level thing, shouldn't it? And that should be that should be every government's. It shouldn't have to be the thing that is your entire policy the for your thing administration. That's your big right. It's outrageous. I mean, he's done nothing to grow the economy. It's shrunk under him, and it's shrunk under Jacob Zuma. The the two of them have done irreparable damage to the economy. But not just them, their entire cabinet, and all the people in the ANC who do those NEC meetings and those uh, those what do they call the other ones? The the bigger ones. Um, the, the the group what do they call the the, the the executive authority in the ANC that they have every cover the National Working Committee and then there's the National Executive Committee one of the those NEC, that's I can the, never remember that's the anyway all those people should know, go to jail for what they've done to this economy all of them there's there's been Rebecca not one improvement wrote, they've made Rebecca Davis wrote an an incredible kind of um, opinion piece in the Daily Maverick last week yeah last week heading into the policy conference just kind of looking through some of those documents and what's there and what's not there and and one of the things that stood out for me mm-hmm. when reading her piece is exactly how much old thinking there is in those documents so they are they're just a rehashing of old ideas some of those ideas as old as kind of 1920 <laughs> you know they're not <laughs> anything desperately new and what we need now in south africa is is we need radically different and new ideas taxation is not going to be the answer mm. not not wealth taxes not more kind of household taxes the reason why taxation is not going to be the idea and i gave you the numbers last week mm-hmm. is because the earnings of people in South Africa have become less and less. In a country where you have this kind of unemployment, taxation is not going to work. You know, even if you look at kind of the power that COSATU has had in the past, the reason they don't have that kind of power today is because their numbers have declined. Why? Because these people are working. Therefore, there are not enough people in unions. And, and that's why we need different ideas. We need new thinking in the economics that says how do we reorganize and reorchestrate our economy so that we can grow it saying people should go off the grid and less reliance on ESCOM is a great idea if mm. people had the money to do that it's yeah. you know on average it's about 200,000 rands to go off the grid for Correct. a small household <laughs> people people live on less than 20 rand a day here in this country how can we <laughs> you know, afford so, that yeah that that's that's not going to so, be a solution. All right. So so now we discussed the the stupidity of these uh, proposals which they tabled. These are things that they took very seriously, by the way, at the conference. Um, that that SABC TV licenses should be scrapped for a household tax. That 
you know, that uh, Lindiwe Sisulu thinks we should chemically castrate rapists, for example. It's like they're grasping, as Pumi said in the beginning of, of the show this morning, before we started the burning platform, Dumo, and you might have missed this. But she said, you know, Nomvula Mokanyane came out as at, at a picketing, a protest against these um, Zamazamas who've been arrested for these hideous and revolting rapes that took place. Um, 81 of them arrested for raping, I think it was eight, maybe 10 girls. But really an outrageous story. So everyone in the country is completely and justifiably upset about this. What does Nomvula Mokonyani do? She starts like machine gunning, as Pumi said. All these slogans about expropriation without compensation, kill the rapists, uh, shoot the criminals, um, GBV, Women's Month, blah, blah, blah. It's all nonsense. Nobody's listening to her, but she's hoping desperately one of the things she says will stick, right? Because we, we do have a situation here at the moment where people are so disenchanted with the system that they've just opted out. And we talk about elections all the time, and maybe this is a great place for us to bring up the by-elections that Pumi wanted to talk about this morning, because maybe they give us an indication of what's going on. So where were these by-elections, Pum? And and maybe you can tell us what they are, and then Duma and I can have some some um, <laughs> insights from you. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, Pumi, by the way, is like she's, find these she's an election. While I find the numbers, she's an election nerd. So when when Pumi can help it, she loves deep diving into these by elections to see what's going on. I, I'm not even aware of when my local by elections happen or when they don't. I think I'm just in time with the whole national schedule, but who knows? <laughs> well, they they are important for a couple of things, and and you know my favorite person to follow uh, around these things is Davi Scholes because Scholes, he's a yeah. number cruncher and he's a nerd like me with that. But also in, in the Sunday's paper, uh, mm-hmm. Peter Bruce had an interesting um, opinion piece also talking about the numbers and the polling and the extrapolations. And one of the people whom we've had, I think, on the show before that that he spoke about, who used to be at the IRR, uh, Franz Grunier, and the numbers and the – because that's what Franz Grunier does. He does polling of kind yes. of what he used listening to. in no, I don't think to, he's a, to I don't what think we, people. I don't think he's with the but IRR That's what anymore, he still does. Yeah. Oh, really? He's not with the IRR anymore, okay. but he still does polling. Okay. Um, yeah. In, so, in my other life, I get to have interesting conversations with fabulous people about all these kinds of things. <laughs> and so, interesting. So there were four by-elections: one in Tswane, mm-hmm. in Vatukluf. Okay. in your areas. In my area, yeah. I did see posters. I went to I went to a thing on Monday, and I saw some posters, and I thought it's not election time. But that now you've explained it to me. Thank you. <laughs> so. Um, Tswane, big winners yesterday, the DA, Mm -hmm. people will be glad to hear this in the comments section over here. The DA, 78%, which is an increase of 8%. Uh, The FF, 19%, also an increase of 6%. Hmm. Action SA wasn't there, so that does take away a little bit of, you know, kind of looking at, and the by-elections and the numbers and how people are behaving there kind of give us an indication of what we can expect in 2024, barring a um, an outside factor that we haven't seen. And I think right. I keep saying to you guys that there's going to be a seismic shift, and I keep thinking we're going to see, we're probably going to see news about those kinds of things towards the end of this year, closer to uh, the 
the ANC's election. But there's going to be some interesting players that that come into the space, and that's going to be a huge disruption, I think. Okay. Um, and then Mudimole, there was, which is also at Ward 12 in Mudimole, which is also a white area. Uh, and Carl will be devastated to hear this, <laughs> that I say it's a white area and it's important. Mm. The DA won at, with 68%, but they lost ground. So even though they have retained that ward, they have lost They've gone down by 4%. And the FF is at 30%, and they've gone up by 6%. And no EFF, no action essay showing up there. Wow. Umfolozi in KZN. Umfolozi in KZN, a black area. Yeah. No, no, this <laughs> IFP, is, yeah. 68%. Good. I like the way you're calling these things as they are, Pumi, because that's what people think. I mean, we, we all think that, right? Black area, white area. This is how people think. We don't. We don't mince our words. ANC, ANC has lost one percent, but they're still second with twenty-five percent. And hmm. the EFF have lost ground. Lost, gone down by seven percent to five hmm. percent. Right. Okay. And again, two things. Right. That you see in these places, the ANC is not coming back. Like where they have lost ground, they are not coming back. They're screwed. It's I like the like the Western Cape, right? Has plateaued. The EFF have plateaued, and in some places they're losing ground. Look here, they've gone down by 7%, right? Mm. Um, The DA, also, in those places where they have maintained and lost ground, they've lost ground to the FF, and those voters are not coming back to them. Yeah. (laughs) And again, these are interesting things to watch because often I say this on the show, and it gets misheard as me saying that there are no alternatives, for many people. The alternatives are there, they exist, but people are not opting for them for whatever reason, right? And that is what the opposition parties should be looking at. Mm -hmm. The opposition parties should be looking at what is it they should be introspecting, what is it about them that makes the voter not come to them and how do they seduce the voter? to their side of the table. What is the information they need to be giving the voter? And what is it that they are not seeing about the voter, perhaps, that makes the voter not buy into them? All right, so Dumo, what do you make of those numbers? I mean, where the DA loses, they lose to the, the Freights Front Plus. Where the ANC loses, they lose to everybody. Um, what, do, what do you make of the fact that it's very difficult for the ANC to come back after they've lost, they don't come back? What do you make of the EFF not growing or or, or, or changing in, in most of these areas in any which way? In, in fact, decline is likely on the cards for them as well, no matter how much they ratchet up the rhetoric. Uh, what do you think is going on here? What do you think is happening in these voting, in these by-elections and in these districts? I, I think uh, from, what I, from what I can gather is that uh, it looks like people are looking at the alternatives much more seriously. So... Um, it seems like um, previous DA voters are looking at the FF Plus. And if you look, at, let's say, in um, Folozi, for example, we saw um, there was a decrease or increase in the IFP votes as well. So 11% it looks like the alter- increase. 11%. Look at that. That is incredible. That's a, that, that's, that's, that's a massive amount. And I think what's happening is that people are taking the alternatives a bit more seriously, which is good. Which is, uh, which I think is a good thing because, I mean, there has been this rhetoric that has been going around where they're like, well, 
there aren't there aren't any alternatives, but they are there. And if you look at the EFF, for example, they're plateauing. I think with the EFF, um, I mean to be, I mean to be very critical of them. I think that people do get tired of seeing them, you know, you know, turning up the heat the whole time. People are just getting tired of it and bored of it, and they can really see that's probably all that they have to offer. So I think that now voters are becoming more informed. And they are looking at the alternatives much more seriously and put and placing the trust in these alternatives. But at the same time, these alternatives need to come to the party and they need to deliver because, you know, we've seen instances where they've been coalitions formed and everything like that. Not to say that there were any coalitions formed given in these uh, by-elections, but what has happened is that um, over time, when these coalitions form, they break. Um, if you saw with COPE, for example, COPE did well in their first election, and then now they paled into insignificance. So these alternatives, par- these alternative parties need to take full advantage of this and build on this and grow. Because just like the people that they've taken votes away from, mm-hmm. you know, they can also decrease as well. So it's, it's, it's good. I like to see this type of competition within politics. And um, I hope uh, it can be the, the same can be reflected in the 2024 national elections. So, Pums, I listened to you carefully just now. You said the seismic shift. And are, are you – is that seismic shift just the decline of the ANC, which has been more like a, a very slow and incremental sort of drop or is there no. something else that you think is coming is there is there and what kind of a thing I is think it there are going to be disruptions in this space and i think that it'll be interesting to see what musimai mani puts together going forward but also there, there are many alternatives that are cropping up there are many people who have kind of gone what we have in this space is not sufficient it's not answering the questions that we have and it's definitely not meeting the needs mm. that we have. I, I think you would have seen in the past couple of weeks uh, Sonia Zuzibi and I've asked her mm. if she can try and get him on the show for yes, us. Yes, she's working on and that. He is absolutely uh, putting something together and moving you know, uh, protect our democracy. Not Jonas. I'll remember his name just now. I'm having the Worst memory this morning. But there are various people putting together alternatives that they believe mm. would answer some of the questions. And, and also, I suppose, throwing down a gauntlet to South Africans to say, you be part of the solution too. Don't just like say, these guys aren't working, but also you be part of the solution. How do you stand up, put your hand up and right. be part of what the solution that we need going forward? Uh, Pablo wants to know, whatever happened to Makosi Koza? Well, you may you may ask you may ask Herman Mashaba that question. Listen, I do think I mean you mentioned Musi my money. I honestly haven't thought about him for a long long time, but there are probably places that he will still have some influence and maybe in some places he's even grown his influence. Um it seems that the parties are the ones who are most under threat here. And individuals whether it's independent candidates or whether it's smaller newer parties who still have a bit of shine may just uh, have a good showing at the next uh, election. We did see how well Action SA did last time around, and they will continue to do well, I'm sure, because they also make the right kind of noise. People just want something that works, right? They just want something that works. It will be interesting to see. 
it will absolutely be interesting to see if Herbin Mashabak and his party mm. can put in a national showing. And if the issues that they are putting on the table are issues that resonate for the rest of the country as much as they resonate in smaller areas in metropolitans, you know, so what they, re- I mean, one of their very, very big things, and we've often had this conversation about Herman Mashaba, mm. even when he was mayor of Johannesburg, is is the issue of illegal immigrants. This big, is big story. the one thing, if you think about Herman Mashaba, this is the one thing you hear them talk about all the time. And so it'll be interesting yeah. to see if, is that something that resonates across the board nationally? Mm-hmm. And does that translate into votes? It'll be interesting to see um, how the EFF, and you can see how the EFF kind of performs in metropolitan areas, you know, because their very big thing is about land, but they don't resonate in rural areas because what people in rural areas have land, you know, and they know what they can and cannot do with that land. In fact, there are many, many people leaving the rural areas to live in shacks, small confined spaces in the urban areas because what they are looking for is is opportunity and work and money, and that's not coming from the land. Therefore, the EFF can't make a shift in rural areas. You know, um, so those are the things that we must look out. There's obviously skullduggery that starts to happen around this time, also when you know politicians and, and parties are campaigning. And, and I'm worried about these Tembisa protests because Tembisa is a huge township. There are lots and lots of people who live there. This may be a small agitated group of people, but essentially four people died during these protests, and they're saying it's because of heavy-handed police action. The mayor is being summoned by the community. The um, the COGTA minister, the cooperative governance minister, has been there, Lebohang uh, Maile, I think. And MMC. They, MMC. Provincial. That's right. Provincial. That's right. No, no, he's provincial. They're being called in to take control of the situation. But really, this is just, I think, agitation by the ANC that they're losing ground. Uh, they, they're very embarrassed that they don't have a Kuruleni anymore. And I suppose they're trying to hold someone accountable for that because they can't, they would never hold themselves accountable for it. The ANC doesn't know what that looks like. Um, what do you think these Tembisa protests tell us? Um, is my reading any good or do you have a better understanding? Should I start? Go could. for it, Dumo, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's an element of, um, the ANC, uh, trying to, uh, take advantage of the situation. I mean, even the DA said that, um, well, not, let me not say the DA, but some members of the DA have alleged that the ANC are actually behind those protests. I mean, I read an article in the Daily Maverick where, it looks like the reason behind the protest was actually um, the subsidies being removed for electricity and water and everything like that. Uh, sounds a bit minuscule um, for such a protest and also the response by the police as well. But it, that could be the case. But um, I, I think ultimately, you know, uh, now that we want all these high ranking officials to go to the township and to you know keep the situation under control yeah i just think that's also some sort of political play by the anc just trying to remain relevant in those places because again uh tembisa is under ikuruleni and ikuruleni is run by the da so um i think it's in the anc's best interest probably to try and stay relevant in that area so that they can actually uh try get ikuruleni back in future elections. So I think there probably is some sort of instigation. There might be, but also at the same time, it could be actual, it could be an actual grievance. But 
it just seems a bit too coincidental and you know you know you know what i mean so we were just yeah. talking about the number by elections and by elections happen in wards mm-hmm. and Ekuruleni has 112 wards. Yeah. Tembisa is one ward out of 112 wards that make up that Ekuruleni um, metropole. Mm-hmm. And what, and, and so, and, and these things are important because you've got to see who has what kind of power. But the thing about these levels of protests and destructive protests, it's also because there are so many people that are at home, not working and protests. And remember in July last year, and I said to you guys that the thing about protests and, and these is it's exciting activity because there's a whole mentality of a mob happening in this environment. And and so it's easy for it to flare up and become such a, a, a story on what the issue may be. So the issue may be that there were tariffs that have been removed or subsidies that have been removed. And and what you then see is you can see how you can very easily, if you, even if you just look at the images of the people that are out there protesting, mm. these are little kids out in the streets. These are kind of, you know, <laughs> Teenagers that are out there burning tires, stacking up what they call the Great Wall of Tembisa. <laughs> and, and that's what, that's what unemployment does. Unemployment makes too many idle hands yeah. in the township, yeah. right? Or in any area, for instance. And all of these people can be radicalized and shifted and moved and used for whatever nefarious thing. So it may be that the ANC councillor, ward councillor in that area has mobilized a couple of people and that's all you really need is to spark a thing like that, is to create a little bit of excitement and then you can attract a mob into that environment. You know, And I think some of the reporting that we're hearing the four people that are dead, I, I, I read, I think, that two of those four people actually died because of a an explosive device that went off as they were trying to bomb an ATM. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. That, <laughs> that changes things. I don't know. Right? That, but that, how, uh, yeah. even, you know, how verified is that information? How true is that? Mm. This is, and this is the era of kind of huge masses of information, eyewitness accounts that can be distorted to mean right. anything. And it know? can be it this, can all be messed with by with. by bad actors, right? I mean there are lots of people who will who will twist that information to suit their political ends. And we know that the politicians are the ones we should least trust when it comes to information. We've learned that very hard and, and the hard way. Um what do you, and what do remember, Ekurleni is a coalition government. Yes. It's led by the DA, but it is a coalition government. But what you also saw in that environment is, is, and we see it everywhere from Cyril Ramaphosa right down to, you know, a mayor in a coalition, mm. is leadership. Yeah. Because these are the instances where what you are needing and what you're looking for is you're looking for decisive action. You're looking for a person who can make a decision speak with the people, engage. Part of, of actually what escalated this was the fact that the mayor did not show up to a community engagement last week, Friday. Yeah. But then what happens between Saturday and Sunday when all of this is being planned? Again, you know, shows kind of the collapse of our <laughs> policing system and our intelligence system because 
this thing does not get planned by two people in a house or by themselves. There, there are no. WhatsApps that are going out. There are people being mobilized, all of that information, and they just weren't ready. They kind of didn't think that it was going to be what it is. On Sunday night already, m- most of us knew that this protest was coming. We didn't know the scale of it, but we knew it was coming. Mm. And did the Ekuruledi Metro Police respond appropriately? Were they ready? Are they, you know, are they... Are they sufficiently trained to deal with riots of this nature? All of those things are what we are seeing here. The collapse of all of those kinds of systems as well. All right. So um, let's turn our attention to something else. Unless you want to add something on the Tembisa protests, uh, Duma, anything you want to add there? Are we going to talk about Nancy Pelosi and Taiwan? Oh, nothing, uh, nothing from our side. All no. right, let's move, <laughs> let's move to that. I mean, we haven't done international stuff for a little bit, and, and this morning we've avoided it completely. You know, the audience gets upset when we don't pay enough attention to our own local issues. I think we've done that now. We've got like 15 minutes left. Let's do this. So Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, who's the third highest ranking member of the U.S. government, decided she was going to take a plane and land in Taiwan. And she's received enormous criticism for this, but she's also received a huge amount of praise from certain quarters. Essentially, what this boils down to is thwarting China. You know, China have said time and time again, they do not recognize Taiwan. They will, um, they will if they have their way, absorb Taiwan into the People's Republic of China. Uh, they consider it a, a, a bit of a shameful and embarrassing thing that uh, the island of Formosa is occupied by a government that also calls itself China. Um, And, of course, this is also strategically a very important place because they manufacture most of the world's very high-end superconductors, the stuff that we have in our cell phones, the stuff that we have in our cars, the stuff that we have in our laptops. Without Taiwan, we're all in a big, big a mess, and the U.S. in particular, who has a huge demand for these superconductors. If you can't get them from Taiwan, the next best place to get them is South Korea, and only about third or fourth is China because theirs are vastly inferior. But China have this this game they're playing with the rest of the world, and particularly America, where they're basically saying, "Look." We can take Taiwan anytime we like. We've seen how you guys pulled out of Afghanistan. We've seen how powerless you've been to resist Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. Uh, we're not afraid of you. And they were they were saying some quite threatening things about, you know, Nancy Pelosi shouldn't uh, land here. Uh, she's taking a huge chance. The People's Republic of China do not approve of this decision. America themselves, including Joe Biden's spokesperson and Anthony Blinken, who I think he was here this week in South Africa, had quite a lot to say about how, you know, they still believe in the one China policy almost as if to placate China. Nancy Pelosi went in. She landed. China did nothing. It's a PR win for America. It's a PR loss for China. But well, what, do you, what do you make China of it? China didn't do what they said they would. I Correct. Mean, China they said, said they'd, they'd shoot they down her shoot plane. Down right. her plane. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do that. But what they have done is, and they've now announced that they... they a strategic military exercises, which mm-hmm. is also what Putin said was happening in that Donetsk region, right? Strategic right. military exercises. So we've seen some images of Chinese tanks yeah. kind of mobilizing in a, in a direction. But and remember I said last week, it's going to be interesting to see who blinks first. Mm-hmm. So America definitely didn't blink first because Nancy has gone there. Um, this morning when, when 
I was just reading up on some of what's happening because then unfortunately we don't get a lot of news coming out of China. So we don't know what China is thinking or what they are doing, but we do know that they've called the ambassador. So Beijing have called the ambassador, the American ambassador to have Mm -hmm. chats, but they're also reporting that in the U S they have also called the Chinese ambassador and there's some kind of back channel talks that have been opened up because we have been talking about China and America beating the drums of war for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those moments, you know, and China's been saying, America, don't try us. And America have Mm -hmm. tried them. And now we're just waiting with bated breath to see if China does what they said they would do. A little bit like what happened with, on the other side, Russia and the Ukraine and the EU. You know, Vlad kept saying, don't try me. Don't, yeah. don't move past yeah. these lines. And, you know, and they, they kept pushing, they kept pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope. And Vlad didn't blink. He went in there. And, you know, and even though we, we all agree that it is now a war of attrition, you know, he didn't blink. And unfortunately, the EU and the UN <clears throat> and the US have not come in in support of the Ukraine as we thought they would. And therefore, there's this stalemate, this ongoing war, which essentially has wiped Ukraine off the face of the economic planet. So what do we what do we think this means in terms of like the, the this um, this constant uh, strong man, this this game, this this power play? Between the global powers, I mean, China has clearly lost face from from this situation. Russia gained from theirs. The U.S. generally is in decline. I think worldwide, everybody's more or less of the of the agreed opinion that the U.S. is is no longer the hegemonic superpower that it used to be. Dumo, is there a vacuum, or do you think that the U.S. still has some fight left in it? And Nancy Pelosi, of all people, has just proven it. You tell me. I I think um, domestically. Um, Biden, the Democrats and everyone, they need to show that they still have some sort of power. So it is in their best interest that they actually challenged China on this. Um, it's good for their base in the United States. So I think that's the reason why they went through with this. Um, I think they did their calculations and they saw that, look, China is not really interested in a war. They like to perform wolf warrior politics. Um, they love doing that. Um, so I think... They knew that, look, um, they really weren't going to shoot down the plane, really. I mean, if they did that, then China would be involved in a war. And I don't think China is ready for one, um, in my opinion. I think that they're not at that point where they can actually challenge the other superpowers. Maybe at some point in the future they will be able to do it. But today, not so much. So I think, again, it was just um, them just doing what they usually do, and uh, the United States um, just playing the game the way they could, the way they think they should be played. So ultimately, um, I think um, for, 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 for ch- from China's perspective, um, since they close up their media anyway, they're probably going to cook up a story to their own citizens. And then for the United States, they also win because now they say, look, we went up against China and we won. So now, you know, you know, we are strong in some sense. And maybe that could just be a way of them just hiding the fact that they actually are not becoming a superpower or they're losing their superpower status. So 
It's very interesting seeing what what we're seeing now. But I mean, will will it escalate? I don't know. I don't think either party wants this to escalate. United States has got nuclear weapons. I don't know if China has. They probably have. I mean, yeah. come on. You know, they, I, I don't think they want to get to that point. So I think China. I think the CCP will go into their circles and say, "Listen, we'll take this loss. No worries." But um, let's just move on from here. But I don't think they're going to try anything funny. No. I, hope I wish right. I understood a little bit more of what Nancy Pelosi is selling. I don't think it was just, you know, I think there's something else happening there underneath the surface, which, which we don't know yet. Or at least I haven't seen and haven't been able to, to kind of, um, what do you mean? Pums? That sounds very cryptic. Everything that I've read. No, it's not cryptic at all. I think that there is something else that Nancy Pelosi is selling more than just it's America. I mean, it's been 25 years. Again, we spoke about this last year. The last time somebody this high ranking went to uh, on with a delegation to Taiwan was Newt Gingrich. 25 years. What is so important at this point in time that Nancy Pelosi would risk starting a war with China for her to land in Taiwan? Hmm. And, 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 and be there. What is so important right now? And we can't see it. We can't see it on the surface of it. And there were many reports that, uh, within the administration, they did try and dissuade Nancy from making this. Oh, really? So not everyone was, (laughs) not everyone was on board. Okay, yeah, you see, widely we're getting such mixed signals from the Biden administration because honestly, I don't think the left hand knows what the right hand is doing uh, a lot of the time. I think that that Joe Biden is definitely out of it. So there are other people who are making these decisions and obviously vying for power and vying for authority. And maybe that's part of the reason that it's so confusing. And maybe China is also seeing this as a, as a gap. They're looking at this going, well, clearly the, the, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. So this is a good time for us to grab some power, only to find that they're thwarted by an old political fox like Nancy Pelosi. Who knows? A, a hell of an old political fox with a lot of money and and a lot of I see Congo Chris here saying not a lot of people talk about her wealth or, or the sources of that wealth. Yeah. You know, so she does have family money. Um, well, she's got a very rich husband, husband who's a, who's a stock trader and her husband has made, is also in business. And what? Yeah, he's made some very questionable investments. Let's just put it that way. That have uh, relied quite heavily upon Nancy's uh, ability to tell him about what legislation might be pending but that's just speculation of course um, <laughs> it's not speculation and it's unfortunately taiwan in taiwan is is a is a small pawn mm. in this entire thing very similar to what has happened to the ukraine you know yeah. so ukraine are now indefinitely in debt the kind of debt that they have amassed in the past couple of months mm-hmm. with russia and you know with russia's move has really put them in an incredible... They've lost talent in terms of the number of people who have run from the Ukraine. They have debt that they're going to have to pay back. And I, I, I read a thing about the fact that they're actually expected to start paying back the debts even now during the war. You yeah. know, it's just unfortunate. It's an unfortunate situation. And that's why I'm saying I wish I understood what it is that Nancy was selling. I think that's a good question. Congo Chris has a question. He says, Sis Pumi, where does South Africa's stance on Taiwan? Well, we, we are obviously uh, no fans and no friends of Taiwan, unfortunately. Uh, we, we should be. We choose very strange bedfellows, but I think we need the 
People's Republic of China's money a whole lot more than we need the, the Taiwanese. And uh, we are definitely oh, on the, we're definitely on the side of China, right, Pumi? I mean, there's there's no Congo bones Chris about this. should know by now. Congo Chris should know by now that nobody has any clue what South Africa's stance is. <laughs> Sometimes the presidency might have a particular stance and the department and Durko might have their own stance <laughs> and the two don't necessarily <laughs> sit at the same side of the of the yep. fence. So we have no idea until we see the tweets. <laughs> that's the only way we know for sure. All right, that's a good so, point. Yeah, when we see the tweets. <clears throat> that's a very know. good point. Um, speaking of all of this, um, have you guys also been paying attention to what's been happening in Europe with their power? Because we're not the only country that's having power outages. Um, in fact, Europe is staring down a very, very cold, very expensive winter, thanks to what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine at the moment. Um, I mean, of course, to point out here that Russian gas and oil is a major contributor to Europe's economy, but also to heating through the very cold European winters. And they're looking at, at an undersupply of electricity, an undersupply of gas. Um, this, of course, is going to lead to a huge amount of dissatisfaction in those countries. What do you think the political ramifications of the war in the Ukraine and of governments that have increasingly gone for green and sustainable energy, which is not at this point strong enough to, to be able to re recoup their losses on coal-fired or Russian-powered um, energy sources? Well, in preparation. What's going to happen? Preparation. What's going to happen? In preparation, they're beginning to fire up some of those old fire stations. Those yeah, coal the coal ones. Fire stations. The ones that we still use. Right? Yeah. The ones that we've been told, the ones that we have been told, and listen, with lots of money coming, that isn't it, Cyril Ramaphosa signed quite a lucrative agreement about moving to cleaner and more sustainable mm -hmm. energy and moving away mm -hmm. from coal? And yet, guess what? Yeah. They're firing up their coal-powered fire stations. Yeah. So what does this mean for green energy? But what does it mean politically for Europe, Dumo? What do you think? <laughs> I think uh, in future elections, uh, people are going to vote out these green movement parties. Mm -hmm. um, I just think people, at the end of the day, you know, they don't really care what their governments do until their government starts to, um, you know, introduce policies that affect their lifestyle so now if the winters are going to be really cold now because of the russia ukraine war i think there'll be pressure from people saying that listen let's just end this war like just okay can you not put zelensky and putin in a room and let them just talk it out you know because really this winter's getting really cold right you know that type of thing so i think it might lead to that um bit speculative but i think that's what could happen uh politically and I think ultimately the people that are pumping money into this green energy stuff, I mean, they're going to really have a tough time trying to sell it now because, yeah. you know, here's the perfect time for green energy to, you know, show what it's worth. And it looks like it's not showing much if people are, no. if countries are actually firing up their old cow, I mean, power stations. So yeah. It's, it's, it just it's, shows you what it's worth. Really. This is the lowest ebb that the, the green movement has probably ever had because when people are cold and they desperately need power, and we've realized in South Africa having power is kind of essential, um, all of those best uh, ideas about the environment just disappear into the back burner, right? <laughs> back burner, if you'll pardon the pun.
All right. Well, right. guys, that's all we got time for today. I would uh, love to carry on talking to you, and there's still many other things on the agenda that we could have got to this morning. Thank you for all the comments this morning, and um, we're very, very pleased to have all of your, your feedback. If you've got any ideas, things that you would like us to be focused on in the Burning Platform in forthcoming episodes, we've got some incredible guests lined up. Dumo, thanks for standing in for us this morning. It's always great to hear you, um, and, and you've always got very, very interesting opinions and insights into what's going on. Pumi, I'm glad you got to be an election nerd again this morning for the first time in a long time and um, hopefully your your attention that you're paying to these by-elections will bear fruit for us in forthcoming larger and, and more more kind of persuasive Born, elections we're going to have you know what we should do when we must talk to Greg about it we're going to have to cut all of the little things that we've spoken about that we've predicted when they mm-hmm. all happen in 2024 okay Watch this all right let's do that because i think people love it when you're held to account people love it when you're right and people love it when you're wrong so let's see all we right can change the burning platform to the crystal ball because <laughs> that's what it's going to look like. That's what it's going to look like. That would be People a thing. Be like, that we saw this trick coming. Well, I listen. I've often said if you could cut some of our comments from um, the the first couple of weeks of the pandemic and lockdowns, Dumo, you said things that all came true. That everyone now is 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 pretty much saying is standard wisdom. Uh, I said some things. Pumi, you said some things. So we've been the crystal ball before. Maybe we will be again. Let's see. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a happy day. Cheers. Bye-bye.